Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning. It is Friday, the 27th of October, 2023. Um, I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Ordinarily, we lead off the show uh, jumping into the Word of God in order that the Word of God can get into us before we get out there into the world that God so loves. But we are going to um, hold off and do that a little bit later because... We have available to us right now this morning, Pastor Dan Church, and he is a pastor in Lewiston, Maine. And so we want to um, we want to talk with Pastor Church, um, and we want to have the opportunity to pray with him and for the unfolding situation in Lewiston. So, um, Pastor Church, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, tell us um, tell us where you are right now, um, and what life is like right now in Lewiston. Yeah, so I'm I'm home as uh, here in Lewiston, and as virtually all residents and, and are, with the exception of essential personnel. Um, and you know, it's. Um, <laughs> It's just a, a back and forth of, you know, paying attention to the news, certainly, um, and keeping in touch with friends um, and others in our community um, to see how they're doing. Okay. Um, it's, um, it is a, uh, you, you just feel horrible for the families of those who were killed and those who were injured because it's uh, with the shelter in place and with the evil person still on the loose. It's we, we can't help them in one sense, move forward in any way or, or even just be there with them. Never mind, move forward. Um, right. So for uh, so, people who are listening right yeah, now and uh, yeah. well, that's okay. Who aren't, um, who aren't up to speed. Um, there is an intensive manhunt still underway for the subset for the suspect um, in Wednesday's, shooting at a bowling alley and a restaurant that left 18 people dead, 13 people injured in Lewiston, Maine. And so the suspect is Robert Card. He's 40 years old um, and he's from the larger or the wider community. He's a certified firearms instructor. He's a member of the U.S. Army Reserves um, and he is um, uh, still at large. And so there is a massive manhunt underway. Um, and so Pastor Dan Church serves in the community of Lewiston, uh, South Lewiston Baptist Church, and um, and he's with us today just to give us a sense of what's happening. And Dan, what you point out there is actually what I had written down in my in my notes. I first of all, I can't imagine how um, 
scary it is for many, many people sheltering in place right now. Um, this was a neighbor uh, at some at some level and in some sense. And this this inability, this prohibition to gather together to grieve is um, that's just awful. Like I that's what I mean, our instinct is to go to those who are grieving and sit with them and love them. And you guys can't do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for these families uh, that are hurting the most, um, oof, uh, you know, this is where there is some solace knowing that they are calling out to God where they are and God is mm-hmm. with them even when we can't be. Um, and uh, it's uh, it, <laughs> it just it kind of just brings that level of anxiety Um to a different level, I, w- which would already be here, obviously, in, in this, in the, in the hurt and the pain. Um, so, you know, we're, we're praying, and for those who, you know, you know, unfortunately, maybe don't don't know God and, and don't have prayer, obviously, you know, that this leaves them with just human means of moving forward or, you know, uh, dealing with this, which is awful as well, and we know that. Um, and so our, our hearts are just with the whole community, obviously, as well. Um, because everyone wants to do something. Maine is known as, you know, independent, you know, fixers and and hardworking and handy and able to repair things, get up and do it kind of thing, not really talk about it. Um, so this is a very uh, difficult uh, scenario, all on top of the horrific evil. Um, there's a variety of churches in Lewiston, uh, total population of a little over 36,000. That's the second largest, I mean, just to give people a sense of it, that's the second largest city mm-hmm. in the state of Maine, and it only has 36,000 people. So for some of us, we're we're trying to imagine even what it's like to live in a place that is, you know, frankly, pretty sparsely populated. And yet, for you guys, like, this is a population center. Um, mm-hmm. Talk with us a little bit mm-hmm. just about... Um, what was life like, you know, let's just go back a couple of weeks. Like, right, what, what is life like in Lewiston? Walk us down. Is there a main street? Is it kind of traditional? Is everybody wearing plaid? I, I need to know. Yeah, I, I mean, so, yeah, we're, you know, we're a, a city. And really just to speak of Lewiston is to speak of our what's called the Twin Cities Auburn, Lewiston Auburn. They're, they're basically kind of held in conjunction when, when spoken about the, the L.A. community, Lewiston Auburn. And hey, that's funny. so you combine that. I mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> so you combine that. That's over 60,000 just uh, okay. between those two. Um, and so, you know, uh, where these plate, where these horrific uh, murders took place, um, th- th- these are, you know, popular places, clearly. Uh, mm. This is um, and, and hangouts. And this is where people would go after work or what have mm. you. Um, and uh, with I mean, it was a youth bowling league for, you know um at the uh, just in time recreation center and uh and then uh, there's a bar and grill and a place where every, you know play pool I, you know um mm. a lot of people have been there um it's it was it was in very busy parts of the city and community here um so the the, the yeah it's uh, and then so then to have it strike right at the heart of it mm. and to go now to a you know it's a ghost town um, by and large. Yeah, that's the, that's the language that we're hearing. 
Um, and then um, Bowdoin is uh, a little town um, that this individual is from. I imagine they yeah. are suffering deeply as well. Um, speak as a pastor to, you know, to your community this morning, and then we want to pray for you and, um, and we want to extend our prayers to others as well. But I would just invite you just to speak to, um, not just your flock, but, you know, the, the people within range of, um, of your congregation this morning. Just, I know that there are words that pastors want to say to people in these times. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, it's in these times and prior to this horrific act that we are called by God to remember that he is sovereign and that he is good. And he still is. He always is. And in this broken world and in our broken communities that were already broken and suffering before this a lot of darkness up here clearly that's some of this is an outcome of the darkness obviously um but we have to remember that he is god is good he is sovereign and not only that there there is hope in him this is not there is a, a human level of course where this is a meaningless evil uh, you know, senseless. That, that there's a there's a sense of that we could say yes and amen, and, and that there's of course no justification or even the reasoning behind is going to be hard to understand. But there is a sense from God's point of view, He is sovereign that He what men a man meant for evil, God will mean for good. Mm. And for such a time as this, we as God's people um, at the church. Are here and it's been wonderful. We had a prayer uh, Zoom vigil last night with dozens of believers and pastors from other churches last night, uh, and it was a wonderful time. Um, and in, in terms of just bringing our burdens to the Lord on behalf of the mm-hmm. city to really seek the Lord's grace and mercy and comfort for others, um, and so we we echo the words of you know Psalm one twenty one. We lift up our eyes to the hills from where does our help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And to know that God will not let your foot be moved. It's he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is our shade on our right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. These are the words of, we, we got to go somewhere, right, with this, and we can't mm-hmm. just internalize. And so this is, we, we go to God, and, but we it's a, it's a um, conscious, uh, deliberate act and choice of, of faith in this incredible time of suffering. Um, but we go to a God who is sovereign and good. Amen. Um Pastor, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Um, you have our thank prayers. You, your, your congregation has our prayers. Please extend our concern to your fellow pastors and in, in the community. And um, uh, we'll we'll circle back and we'll talk with you again. This is um, this is going to be a grief that 
will be too great to bear for your local community. And so just know that we will be, we'll stand alongside you through this process. Amen. Thank you so much, Carmen. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Pastor Dan Church at the South Lewiston Baptist Church, slbc.church. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Dan Bennett is joining us. He is host of The Equipped. He is also the author of the Equipped newsletter. Fan, good morning. Morning, Carmen. I, I what a what a blessing to tune in and overhear your conversation with Dan Church. Appreciate uh, you doing that. I appreciate his words reminding us to just hold them in prayer today. Yeah, I um, I appreciate uh, producer Paul Perot uh, tracking tracking the pastor down and um, and getting an opportunity for us to talk with him. I think that. Um, you know, it's easy for us, then to focus on whatever the headlines are globally and focus then on whatever is like intensely local, like literally what's going on in my own life. And there's there's the, all this range in between. Um, and obviously, 18 families who are deeply, deeply grieving. And it's a very small community. I mean, I know he talks about it like 60,000 people is a, you know, that's a big place. Um, but it's not. I mean, that is that is a lot of people in in a small place. You know, I appreciate that perspective, Carmen, because one of the things that we've been working on as both a family and then also through the equipped, what I'm encouraging folks to do, I, I think Scripture guides us to actually absorb information in a way that allows us to process it and then uh, interact with those in our community, those that we physically touch. I, I don't. I don't think we were probably designed to absorb worldwide information 24-7, Carmen, Mm -hmm. but we were definitely made to live in community with each other and to be the hands and feet and to be the the tangible connectivity of the gospel. And and that's what came through to me as I was listening to to Pastor Dan. I, you know, I was thinking of Romans 12. We're supposed to grieve with those who grieve. Uh, But I, I was also thinking of First uh, Thessalonians four thirteen, I believe it is, which talks about not grieving like the rest of mankind. Right? Mm. Don't grieve like mm-hmm. those who have no hope. And then you you made a comment that I think over the last few years um, has been difficult for us to walk out. And and I think I heard an example of, of Pastor Dan's church walking it out. It's it's Hebrews ten twenty five. Don't forsake gathering together. And there's a <laughs> There's a challenge for them in that community right now, but I appreciate the fact that they're using technology to do it the best they can. But all of that to say this, we we weren't created to live in a vacuum. We were created first to commune with our God and then to commune with those around us. And so, um, yeah, just, just a good reminder, absorb news and information in a way that uh, causes us to ask the question, okay. What's my role in community with those who are hurting, and how can I be a source of, of hope and healing to those around me? Yeah, and and pressing into the community aspect and, and recognizing that um, we're not just designed to emote online. <clears throat> like I do, I think that there's I think that there's a there's a vast difference in putting putting skin on it in such a way that you're literally going and being in the presence with other people. And so just encourage folks today um, uh, in those ways. You have a a lot of really great stuff um, that you are, you know, you're working through personally, you're working through it with your family and you're sharing it with us in the equipped newsletter. So I want to remind folks that the equipped newsletter.com is where you can access 
um, the, the information that Dan and I are talking about um, today. Talk with us about um, just your reflections on the hostage situation uh, ongoing in, in Gaza. Yeah, this is a situation that hits a little bit close to home for me, Carmen. In a previous job, uh, we actually represented the the families of of people who were held in prison, held hostage as a result of their faith. And so I've had the opportunity to experience the joy almost firsthand, maybe I would say secondhand, when you do have the return of some hostages, hostages like we did this, this week. Um, you know, there, there's news of at least four, an, an American teenager and her mother, and then two elderly Israeli women. I've had the joy of experiencing that. And just maybe just to pause there for a second, I always, I always think about Psalm 126, one in, in this moment, uh, which says, when the Lord brought the, back the captives of Zion, which is pretty appropriate here, but when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream. And it, it does. It almost seems surreal when these kind of moments happen. But, you know, of course, this week, Carmen, it's it's mixed with great uh, tragedy and grief as well. I mean, especially like just those two Israeli women, they their their husbands are still held by Hamas. Their mm-hmm. husbands are still likely held somewhere in Gaza. So, you know, how much joy are they experiencing? I I, I would say may, maybe not a lot, maybe not a lot with their husbands uh, still held hostage. Um, but a couple of things that I think we have to hold in tension with that rejoicing. There is still remaining actively today a sacred obligation that is found in Scripture. I would point you to Romans thirteen four for the controlling government in Israel to hold Hamas accountable for the atrocities it committed. And there's a there's a lot of conflation right now between the civilian casualties that happened in Israel when Hamas invaded and targeted those civilians with what is happening in Gaza as Israel responds and some civilians are killed. Now, it's tragic. It's terribly tragic when that happens. But when Hamas is holding civilians as human shields and when they're embedding inside the civilian community, there is not a moral equivalence between the the civilians that, that are killed in that operation and then the civilians that were targeted by Hamas. So, you know, I've thrown a lot out there, Carmen, but it's a it's a complex situation, and I think we as followers of Jesus Christ ha- have a duty to wrestle with it. We're, we're going to rejoice with the hostages that are returned. We are going to grieve with those who grieve on both sides of this war, but we are also going to stand on truth and resist the temptation of culture to create a moral equivalency where there just is none. We're talking with Dan Bennett. We're going to return to this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. Continuing our conversation with Than Bennett, host of the Equipped. Um, Than, we have been um, witnessing uh, this this week uh, a series of guilty pleas being entered in uh, cases related to um, the the twenty twenty election and efforts by um, by what the state of Georgia 
um, contends, uh, you know, it was a conspiracy to overturn those results through uh, a, a fake elector scheme. We now have a number of attorneys who have entered guilty pleas. Um, I guess maybe just reflect for a moment on um, there are these legal storylines unfolding um, and maybe what what you see in all of that or how do we remain objective in the midst of what is often presented to us as entirely subjective? Yeah, really, really difficult to do that, Carmen. And actually, that is one of the reasons that we continue to return to both this story and the story about the legal challenges facing the the family of the current president, Joe Biden, and specifically his son, Hunter. There's a there's a temptation actually to sort sort of ignore these stories because no no matter what the facts are in the case, uh, you know, half of us are animated to defend whoever the target of the story is, and the other half are are inclined to just assume that there is guilt. And so we actually return to these stories in the equipped to practice what you just described, which is approaching the stories um, from a perspective of standing on truth and to evaluate them objectively. Just very quickly, the developments this week, there were three more guilty pleas in the case down in Georgia. They came from Kenneth Chesborough, uh, Sidney Powell, and Jenna Ellis. There had been a bail bondsman named Scott Hall who pled guilty uh, about a month ago in the case. And, um, you know, without without going too far into opinion on this, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of value in me asserting opinion on this. But I do think that we should hold up a lens through which all of us as Jesus followers should approach all of these cases. And here here's the first um, admonition or I guess invitation I would I would throw out there. Let's be wholly, wholly devoted to truth. And I want to uh, suggest this in a couple of different ways. First, specifically to this case, um, I read many of these pleadings, many of these filings in real time, and there were real legal arguments to make about things that happened during the 2020 election. There were a lot of th- also a lot of things in these filings that were very lacking in a devotion to truth. And that decision, uh, I'm not going to assert a, a motive in either direction on that, but that decision by the folks involved in this case is now uh, coming home to roost. And so I would just say for, for all of us, we need to be wholly devoted to truth in every aspect of our life. And when a temptation comes along to deviate from that, uh, we we need to resist it. And the, la- the last thing I would say about this, Carmen, let's work really hard as Jesus followers to not glory in the downfall of our political opponent. I think there are going to be more examples in the days to come on in both of these cases, uh, people close to Donald Trump, people close to Joe Biden, who are going to either plead guilty or have a verdict rendered against them. Uh, those are not opportunities for rejoicing. Those are opportunities for grieving, for mistakes that have been made, and for charting a better path forward for both public service and for mar- our engagement with it. So let's try to lay aside that temptation to first look at the name in the story and render a judgment on it. Let's actually read source documents. Let's evaluate them against facts and evidence, uh, and let's stand on truth. That's so good. That's so good. Um, Than, we don't have a lot of time left to talk about the three weeks that we spent without a Speaker of the House, but maybe now that a Speaker has been elected, we could just visit the topic of why it matters. It's a const- It's constitutionally important that we have a Speaker. This person is third in line for the presidency, 
Um, and so I'm not sure that everybody has understood, like, even like why it matters that the House has a speaker, but it does matter. Sure. Great, great perspective. The Constitution actually mandates that the House choose their speaker as the very first act of any Congress. And so all of the other authorities that are found in Article One for the Congress, at least in the U.S. House, can't be done until that that speaker is selected. And so that's why the last three weeks there was gridlock and paralysis. Now that Speaker Mike Johnson has been chosen, uh, they can return to the business of the people. You know, there, there are some in this town, Carmen, that said we were better off when they weren't accomplishing anything. But, you know, look, there, there, there's a lot of dysfunction, but we're three weeks away from another government shutdown, another spending line uh, deadline. Obviously, our ally Israel is at war. And so there are things that need to happen. But yeah, to, to su- uh, succinctly answer your question. All of the constitutional duties that are afforded to the House of Representatives uh, by by the Article One of the Constitution, they can't even be implemented until that first act they were given, the choosing of a speaker, is completed. Three weeks later, uh, we do have a speaker. Um, I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. If you don't, if if you haven't already started um, uh, wondering about uh, Dean Phillips. He is launching a primary challenge against the sitting president. Dean Phillips is a member of Congress from Minnesota, um, and he uh, also happens to be Jewish. And I, I think there is a storyline there that no, nobody is yet pulling the thread of. And so I just thought that I would lift that up because you're interested in, in things like this. And so if you weren't already, if that wasn't already on your radar, put it on your radar today. Uh, it was, but only very, very uh, in a limited fashion. So I will dig a little bit mm-hmm. deeper. Last thought on that, uh, Speaker Mike Johnson uh, knelt in prayer on the House floor after being elected this week. So that is one more cause for uh, rejoicing. Yeah, we're going to um, we'll, we will continue to unpack, um, uh, I'm sure, more and more and more about the new Speaker of the House in uh, in weeks and months to come. So thank you so much um, for that. Fan, as always, thank you for being with us. The Equipped is a podcast. It is a newsletter. You can check it all out at theequippednewsletter.com. And you can listen to The Equipped right here on uh, on your faith radio. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Next up, we're going to have our friend Chris Martin join us. Dozens of states across the country are suing Instagram's parent company, Meta. What's going on there? And have you heard of the no phone movement? Mm-hmm. It's gaining traction. What is it? And are are you into it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, it's no fun to have a birthday and have nobody sing. So on the count of three, we're going to sing happy birthday to Chris. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Chris. Happy birthday to you. I'm assuming, Chris, that everybody Everybody saying that out loud in their cars, in front of their mirrors, still lying in bed, wherever they are. Happy birthday, friend. Thank you. Yeah, my birthday was on Tuesday. and uh, Oh, I'm, like, I'm uh, late. I'm so late. Oh, I should have well, been. fine. I'm, it's not like yeah. I was here on Tuesday. So, you know, uh, thanks. Thanks for that. And uh, yeah, it's good to be here for another trip around the sun. Do you... Um, do you know when your rebirth day is? Do you, are you one of the people that like knows the the day that you came no, to Christ? No, I don't. I don't, I don't yeah. track that. I do not. Mm-hmm. Know. I'm thinking that everybody should put one on their calendar, though. That we should be like sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, because I would like to be celebrating people's rebirth days. I think that would be fun. I'd like to create a new yeah, holiday. Sure, I'm advocating yeah. for it. Um, so Chris, uh, Meta, which is formerly known as just Facebook, but now because it's not just Facebook, it's other things like Instagram. Um, is that right? Am I have I got my parent company correct here? Yeah, that's right. They they were like, hey, we should be known by more than just one of our apps. Let's make a bigger name. And so, yeah, they changed okay. to Meta. So Meta is being sued because of Instagram. So what is it that Meta has allegedly done or not done um, that dozens of states are now suing them over? Yeah. So uh, f- f- depending on what article you read, I got, I got different numbers on the actual number of states. It looks like something around 40 states. And the District of Columbia sued Meta, um, alleging that the company hurts children by violating their privacy and misleading them about the potential harms they may experience from using its products. And a handful of states have pursued aggressive action against Meta over the last few years. Um, but this is the first, like like you said, dozens of states signing on to the same accusations and kind of going in together. You know, following everything that happened um, on Facebook around election 2016. And then even the, the um, information that came out with Francis Haugen, the whistleblower a couple of years ago, there wasn't really much action by the federal government. Uh, they just didn't really do much. Nobody, I, I don't really know why. I don't know if that's because of really talented lobbying on Meta's behalf, or if that's just because Congress was asleep at the wheel or whatever else, but basically states decided, okay, we're going to take this into our own hands and, and handle this. And so we have a, a number of states, almost all, almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them um, su- are suing Meta saying, hey, Facebook, Instagram, you know, all of you guys, you, you know that you have been basically preying on children's data and their mental health to make money. And we have evidence that you know that you've been doing that, and we're going to uh, finally call you to uh, answer for it. And so um, that's what's going on here. There's a 233-page federal complaint um, that a lot of journalists and people who cover this kind of thing are just kind of getting into, and a lot of it's redacted. So like a lot of the evidence that the states claim that they have of this activity um, is not public yet. Uh, Theoretically, we'll learn about that eventually. But uh, I think it's fair to say that um, a lot of this is born out of what Francis Haugen, the whistleblower from two years ago who left Facebook and kind of brought a lot of Facebook documents out with her, uh, a lot of it's probably born out of that. And I have to imagine that she and and others like her have been involved in getting this, uh, this lawsuit uh, together and moving it forward. And so I'm, I'm grateful to see that. Um, Cause I've said for a long time uh, on this show and in my writing that, that meta and it's, and it's associated apps um, are taking advantage of children's privacy and their mental health and all, all sorts of things like that. And uh, I'm glad that finally, at least in some form or fashion, um, they're going to be held accountable for that. Um, and so, you know, you and I have our critics. <clears throat> uh, why are we talking about this? Uh, one person wants to know. And so I, I'll just say this. There are currently 2.35 billion, with a B, 2.35 billion monthly active Instagram users. 
So we are talking about this because um, Instagram is the fourth most popular social media in the world. Um, it reaches more than two and a half billion people. Um, and and so that's uh, that's yeah. like half of the people who have a smartphone um, are yeah. using Instagram and they're using it every month. And so let me ask this question in terms of just a Christian perspective. Like, should Christians not be on Instagram? Like, this is like part of, I guess, my conundrum. Um, even the White House has accounts on all these platforms and they know these platforms are, uh, you know, I mean, they have a TikTok account. I don't have a TikTok account. I've avoided TikTok because I like think it's inherently terrible because it's owned by the Chinese government. But maybe the Chinese government and Meta are not really that different in terms of taking my information and using it for ill. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've lo- I've long said that. Why are we so afraid of? Uh, why are we so afraid of TikTok when Meta's doing the same thing in our backyard? Uh, but I, I think that's because people are more afraid of what the Chinese government will do with, with our information than they are of what Meta will do with our information. I would just ask why. <laughs> like, I, I don't see any yeah. evidence of why why we should fear one more than the other, frankly, because of what we've seen both groups do. Um, I think to the, to the person who's asking why are we talking about this or why should we care, um, there's a kind of there's another reason, which we'll get to the second part of our conversation, I think, eventually when we get there, is um, there's there's a ton of data to suggest that the meteoric rise of mental health issues among young people specifically, the group of people that states are suing these companies about, um, there is mounting piles, mountains of data to suggest that social media use is the chief cause of the exponential rise of suicide and other mental health issues among 11 to 15 year olds um, in not only America, but around the world. And there are like 20 different other reasons people have tried to point to why this is uh, why this mental health crisis is happening among young people. Um, but everyone, Jean Twinge, who's a really remarkable writer in this space, kind of she debunks all of them and says, no, it's, it really is the phones and social media specifically. And so I think if you're listening and you're wondering, why does this matter? Um, well, I would ask, do you love your neighbor? And do you care about the primary cause of depression, anxiety, and suicide and self-harm in general among people who are under the age of 18? Well, it's fair to say that's probably meta and its associated platforms. At least that's what some states are kind of arguing in this lawsuit. And so I think we need to, if we care about young people, and if perhaps you find yourself saying, oh, young people these days, well, this is young people <laughs> these days. Mm. Um, so uh, if you want to care rather than just complain, then I think it's good to pay attention to this stuff and figure out what's at the root of why our 11 to 16 or 17 year olds are the way they are. And I think um, some of the data we're seeing behind mental health and social media and this kind of related action by these attorneys general um, are related. And and I think if we care about young people, we should pay attention. So um, Chris, maybe we just take away their phones or maybe we encourage them to give up their phones, introduce us to the no phone movement. And then um, we're going to take a break after you introduce us to the topic and circle back around. But what is the no phone movement? Yeah. So this isn't as far as I know now that I'm sure there are a hundred different veins of this idea or versions. Um, 
the no phone movement isn't so much not giving young people phones at all. Um, today, it's kind of hard to get away from giving a high schooler or even a middle schooler sometimes a phone so you can pick them up from football practice or whatever. Um, that, that kind of comes with the territory in some regard. However, there's this movement within schools called the no phone movement um, to boost focus and mental health. So this article from CBS News says, in an effort to remove distractions and enhance educational experiences, schools across the country are increasingly adopting a no phone policy, requiring students to lock away their devices for the entire school day. And that goes into explaining one school in particular. And this is increasing uh, in popularity across the country that students are more and more not allowing uh, our teachers are more and more not allowing their students to have their phones. Now, what's so funny, and this is so interesting to me, um, I have to share a personal anecdote. I I grew up, I was in high school from uh, 2005 to 2009. And when I was in high school, we couldn't have our phones out. Uh, now, most of us didn't have smartphones. You know, probably 10 to 20% of people had Blackberries or other early smartphones, even the earliest iPhone. Um, most of us didn't have smartphones, but we were texting like all the time. My parents' phone bill from those years could tell you we were texting all the time. Uh, but if, if you were caught with your phone out in class, it was taken away from you, and you might get it at the end of the day if you're fortunate. Um, but obviously, between 2009, when I graduated high school, and today, um, phones have become even more prevalent in the classroom. Even though they, I would say they were prevalent then, as prevalent as, as they had ever been, they're even more prevalent today with, with the smartphone revolution and everything else. So a lot of teachers, as I understand it, talking to high schoolers over the years, um, kind of just live with the fact that people are on their phones in class. Like a, a lot of schools and, and school systems just kind of allowed it. But now more and more schools are pushing back and trying to go back to the halcyon times of no phones in school uh, because they've recognized teachers who have been there over the course of these years that it's, it is hurting. It's, it is hurting education and socialization and, and everything else. And so they're trying to push back. And so Jonathan Haidt, who's a social psychologist, um, we'll talk about him more uh, a lot in the future. And we already have in the past, um, talks a lot about having no phones in schools. And, and he thinks phones are at the root of the problem. He's He and Gene Twinge do a lot of writing together about this topic. And so um, he, he writes in this article or is quoted in the article talking about how it all started in the early 2010s with the revolution of the smartphone. And that's when we really started to see education struggle. Um, and he, he applauds these schools who are saying, hey, no more phones in the classroom. You got to put it in your locker, put it in your car, whatever else. Use it for whatever you need to. But we don't need it when we're trying to, you know, learn about Shakespeare or pre-calculus. So this um, made me ask the question, um, do we need a no phones in church? Ah, that's a great question. Yeah. So do we need a no phones in church movement? And uh, I'll just leave that sitting right there. And maybe you and I can return to that idea at a later time. Sounds good. Yeah. Hey, that's Chris Martin. He's a social media, well, we call him an expert because he's the most expert person we know in this whole area. He's actually a content marketing editor at Moody Publishers. He's the author of Terms of Service. Uh, well, no, we don't do Terms of Service anymore as a newsletter. It's a book, though, and uh, and also A Wolf in Their Pockets. That is um, the one that, if you're a parent, you totally 100% want to read. Uh, and so um, as, we, uh, as we think about what is, uh, what is happening in the world um, around us, um, let me just ask you, how often are you on your phone? For what period of time and for how long? Um, and... And for what purpose? Are you using it 
um, in ways that are serving you or is someone else being served by your use of that device? Is it using, like, are you using the phone or is it using you? That's really a good question to ask. Have you ever had a friend that after a while you started evaluating your relationship and you're like, I, I think this person's just using me. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't actually think this person is my friend. I don't think that they particularly care about me. Um, and they're not really genuinely listening to me. Um, they are seeking my attention. They are seeking access into, um, might be your family, might be a group, right? Phones now function in that way. Our phones are using us, not the other way around. Um, and so um, when you when you think about how much time you're spending on your phone, you might be on your phone right now listening to this um, on the Faith Radio app um, or at myfaithradio.com. Um, and so it's it's worth evaluating um, how much time we're spending on our phone and how we're spending that time. Time's the one resource that none of us are ever going to get any more of. Like, that's it. We're not going to get any more um, time. And so how are we spending our time? All right, we ordinarily start the show with a Growing Your Faith verse of the day. But today we started the show with a conversation with a pastor at the South Lewiston Baptist Church in Lewiston, Maine. Um, so after a quick break, we're going to actually dig around in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 17. Have you been in the Word of God today? Let's get into the Word of God, that the Word of God can get into us before we get out there into the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Let's get some sun outside. Let's have some fun. Ain't nothing like All right, Paul reminded me that we got to do the Friday Farm Report. So we're working that in here. And then we're going to jump into the Growing Your Faith verse of the day. Uh, and so the quick uh, Friday Farm Report here from the farm the cows are growing. The chickens are laying. Uh, it is time to uh, do whatever you're going to do before winter sets in. We're going to get our first freeze where I live next week. And so I know you're going to find it stunningly surprising that um, we still have figs on our fig trees. Maybe you're going to be surprised we have fig trees at all. Um, but we do. And so we're really hopeful that we might get a couple of more. There's tons of figs on the tree right now, but we don't actually have a long enough or warm enough growing season for all the figs to ever come to maturity. So if you know a way to make a fig tree um, ripen towards the end of the cycle, I, I'd love I'd love your input on that. Maybe, you know, maybe there's somebody out there that knows. Um, that would be great. You can text me, 877-933-2484. You can always email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Good news on the healing front for Cinnamini, who took it up with a coyote uh, early um, last week. She's doing great. She's doing great. She is back to her full um, uh, vigorous self. In fact, um, today she has eaten the show notes. Uh, they are shredded on the floor of the studio, and so... If you thought I was flying blind a few minutes ago, it might have been true. 
So there you go. All right. Uh, our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 17. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Jesus is um, talking here in the Sermon on the Mount at this point about judgment and how we judge um, the, the counsel that people are giving us, how we judge leaders around us, how we judge those who seek to speak on behalf of God. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's where we get this turn of phrase. So um, this, this idea that you can judge a tree by its fruit and you can judge a person by the product of their life, what their life produces, suggests that we're all fruit-bearing. You're producing something. Your life is producing something. And so are you producing, as you know, we'll just use Paul's list from Galatians chapter 5, are you producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, um, faithfulness, and self-control? Or is your life producing something else? Uh, is, your, is your life producing um, the list that comes before that in Galatians chapter 5? Paul calls them the acts of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh-oh, dissensions, uh-oh, factions, uh-oh, envy, uh-oh. I mean, we not we might not be you might be like, "Oh yeah, I I not I not <laughs> I'm not practicing witchcraft." And I'm and I'm not actively engaged in some sort of sexual immorality. I mean, you know, that's for other people. Um how about selfish ambition? How about dissensions? Factions? Drunkenness? And the like, by the way. Paul's not making a list here that's, um, that's exhaustive. He's making a list that's illustrative. So, what is your life producing? They will know we are Christians by our love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And they will know we are not Christians by all manner of other things. And we are reapers of what we sow. That's important to remember here as well. Galatians 6, 7, and 9, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, well, from the flesh he will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So what kind of harvest are you reaping in your life? And what are you sowing in order to reap a harvest of righteousness. Maybe reaping the whirlwind is a phrase that you know. That comes from actually from Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. If you, um, if you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Well, you say, well, what does it mean to sow the wind? Well, in the context of Hosea 8, it means aligning yourself with, um, with the, the peace that the world offers instead of um, the life that God has called you to. So, what kind of harvest um, are, are we producing today? Um, 
Are we sowing peace? James 3.18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace, and they will reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's be people who not only reap what we sow, but by uh, whose fruit others can tell that we belong to Christ. Branches of his vine producing good, righteous fruit. We got another hour together up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.